this last week uh, was really wrestling through, uh, you know, I've got friends all over the map that are in different uh, ministries in different churches, friends that are pastors, people that, uh, and almost any time, it seems like nowadays about every two weeks a national thing happens that's a major catastrophe and it blows up and it's horrible, uh, is this, hey, if you don't say something, then you're, you know, then you're saying so- something and it's wild. And man, this last week, I, I was tired. <laughs> I felt like I don't want to deal with comments from people that I don't even know. Um, and, and it took me a while uh, to really think through. And, and just for this morning's purposes, I, I did want to read something because I think it's important, not because of politics, not because of government, not because of the news, uh, but because of the kingdom of God. And so here is what I wanted to share tonight. What we witnessed on Wednesday was wrong. As the mob stormed and briefly took over the Capitol, it was clear to see in that crowd signs bearing the name Jesus. Some were carrying crosses as followers of Jesus. This is not the way of the kingdom. We can't carry the name of Jesus into battles that he is not engaging. And the way we carry the name of God is a command and a mission. Not for the sake of government, but for the lost and the poor and the broken and the sinful. This is not what it looks like to walk in the path of the one who laid down his life for the sake of others. We have all had some sort of emotion running through us this past week, and emotions are God-given, but they are not to be what leads us forward. You may agree with the sitting or the incoming office. You may disagree with both or either, but don't mistake the will of God for your political preference. And the reason I'm saying anything at all in the middle of a worship service has nothing to do with politics or government or an election. It has to do with the witness of Jesus in us, his church. I've never felt the need to make some sort of statement on every issue or current events. Most of these events are so complex with layers of truth and lies and propaganda and oversimplification. However, I think this week was different because worship music was blasted as an angry mob stormed the Capitol. People incited a Jericho-type fall of the city. Giant wooden cross was erected in front of the building, and a man carrying a Christian flag into the evacuated legislative office, chamber, sorry. And there were Jesus saves flags that popped up in almost every picture that we saw. And I say it because of this. If we as citizens of the kingdom of God would redirect that same passion, baptized in grace to the hurt and the poor and the broken and the sinful in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our families and in our friends, we would start to see real change. If we tried to help reconcile the people around us to Christ rather than the Senate, we would see real change. But the laziness of our time would prefer to cheer or contemn ideologies from our side of a screen rather than do the work to show the people directly around us what the kingdom is worth fighting for. And the flag that we wave into battle doesn't have a president's name on it, but the banner we wave is love. The country can do whatever it wants. It can believe whatever it wants. It can get angry over whatever it wants, but not the church. Jesus has already told us our mission. He's already commissioned us for good works. He's already given us the values of the kingdom. And our king has already told us who we are, how we fight, and how we live. And none of this was reflected this last week. As we need to do a better job of being ambassadors and witnesses of King Jesus so they see what the church really looks like as we seek to bring the kingdom of heaven 
to earth. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, uh, tonight we do pray. God, our country is a hot mess, but so is almost every other country, and it has been for the history of humans. But God, I pray that what we see is uh, that the church tends to look a little bit more like culture than it does the kingdom of God. Uh, we tend to gravitate towards the, uh, the, the, the speed and the uh, opinions of society rather than the commands and the examples of Christ. So Father, I pray over us uh, that we would be holy, not holier than thou, uh, broken and put back together, humbly serving you holy, separate, different, set apart, that we would be different, that we would value the values set before us in the Beatitudes, uh, that we would reflect the kinds of qualities that we read Jesus preach on in the Sermon on the Mount, that we would live our life carrying uh, the kind of sentiments that Jesus prays at the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, God, it doesn't matter what I want but it matters what you want. So Jesus, I pray uh, that tonight that we would be able to see the world around us clearly. Uh, not because of our favorite news station or our friend circles that tend to just go in circles on the same topics with the same perspective, uh, but because when we look intently into your word, uh, we can't turn away and forget what we've seen, that, that we are changed, we see things different, our perspective shifts because of who you are. So, Lord, we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, tonight, as we start this sermon series on prayer, three weeks, we're going to be looking uh, at this topic. We're going to be looking at this uh, a piece of, of uh, religion, I guess you could say. Uh, we, we don't own the idea of prayer. Many religions pray, much to many different deities. Uh, however, for us, prayer is central, one, because God invites us to it. If the king of the universe invites you to talk to him and to lend him a ear, I would say you should do that. It's our connection with who he is and what he does. It informs us uh, of what's going on. I love this thought, and, and Kenny sent me, uh, sent me a video this morning, uh, and just being reminded of, of, man, the early church didn't have scripture. They barely had training. What they had was prayer in the spirit of God who informed them on what to do and how to do it, who shaped them and molded them. Prayer is such a large piece of what, what following Jesus looks like. It's a huge piece, maybe even central, uh, in what it means to follow Christ. Many of us, I fear, could call ourselves Christians without having spent serious time in prayer, though in Scripture that would be hard to do. And I want us to think about it this way. Have you ever had an experience so powerful that you just started singing at the top of your lungs? No one. Have you ever been around someone that's moved you to sing out in song? I remember the first time I saw Ray, but I didn't sing out in song. It was sixth grade and it was science class. It would have been weird. Have you ever been so full of joy that you could not hold a song in and that you had to let it out? Uh, I found a video of a captivating experience of someone who had a similar experience, so go ahead and watch the screen.
singing everyone thinks like he's got something crazy going on he, right you see everybody like back up grabbing something under the counter like it gets real weird and then he, like within 10 seconds he's got backup dancers he's got people singing harmony like he turns the whole thing around now if you've not had that experience with Popeyes it's probably because you got the original and not the spicy right that may have been part of your issue right or food may not be your thing if that's you this fast is going to go great for the rest of us it's a struggle right? Uh, but I, just to make us laugh a little bit, but maybe Popeye's isn't one of those special places where you feel called to sing out because of what you've seen or heard. And maybe you don't have the skills to carry your confidence. Uh, for some of us, I feel like uh, there's moments where you can sing out and it's okay. If the house is alone, and I know that Ray and the boys are gone, that shower turns into a recording studio. All right, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't need the house to be empty, and that's fine. That's up to you. Sometimes it's in the car, and sometimes you're singing songs that you would never let anyone else hear you sing. There are songs from high school I remember. I would never admit to you that I know every lyric, but you better believe if I'm going down Cicero and it's on the radio, it's on. For some of us, we sing out, and it's common to sing together. It's common to sing in places like church. It's common to sing in places uh, like concerts. Uh, during COVID, some of my favorite uh, music artists were doing online, kind of like from home concert type things. And Ray and I watched some of them, and it was fun. Uh, but I remember I've seen some of them live, and I was singing really loud in the arena while they were singing. I won't say it was the Spice Girls, but I won't say it wasn't. <laughs> Kidding. Joking. Please don't. Uh, anyways, right? But, they, but it was hard to engage in that because it felt like a disconnect. And there's something about when we sing out. There's something about being able to go for it without having to think about what's going on around you. And for a moment, it's just about you fully engaging in the song. As we slip into this prayer series, we're going to be in the book of Psalms for three weeks, which is a songbook of prayers of people who have seen God move, of people who are frustrated with God, who are frustrated with their circumstances and what the, it looks like the benefit that's going on everywhere else except for them when they've been faithful and they sing out that song. For people that have seen God move in powerful ways and they feel led and called to sing out in that way, prayer gives us these moments. This series is called Uncommon Prayer, and it's to help us get out of our prayer ruts and to approach God in a new pattern with new words for renewed worship. What I mean by prayer ruts is some of us, every time it's time for dinner, you've just got the back pocket prayer that you know how to repeat, and that's the thing that comes out, and some of us can say it so fast and quick that we forget what words we're actually using. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? 
I remember being little and we would recite the Lord's Prayer every week at church. And I, I botched half the words and didn't even know what it meant, but I went right along with everybody. Our Father, Father, I believe thy name, the King, come, the will be done. Right? And we get to the end of it and it's like, crushed it. I didn't, and I didn't know what I was saying. But we can get in these prayer ruts where we say the words, but we aren't reflecting on the character of God. We say uh, maybe the right things or whatever we have stored up in our memory, but we're not uh, speaking to the God of the universe who's invited us to speak. And in this series, we're going to go through three different motions to pray. We are going to pray up, we are going to pray in, and we are going to pray out. We're going to pray up in this way. We're used to praying for ourselves and others, but we need an uncommon approach to how you pray to God. In, it's common for us to ask God to give us things, pray into me, uh, but we need an uncommon approach to how we pray for ourselves, and we'll talk about that next week. And then the last week, we'll talk about praying out. It's common for us to pray for others, but we need an uncommon approach to what we pray for and how we pray for other people. And today I want us to rethink our approach to how we pray to God. For a lot of us, we often treat him like Santa Claus, where if we come to him and pretend like we've been really good for a long time, we ask him what he can give us and we just hope that we fooled him and that he gives us what we want. Or like a vending machine where I put in my prayer and you give me what I'm asking for. And that seems to be a bulk of our prayer life. Now, be clear, Jesus says, ask me. And don't feel ridiculous about asking for small things. Don't feel weird about asking for the desires of your heart. In fact, Jesus says, bring that to me. Bring all of that to me. I want to hear it. Pray, 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 pray. So it's not to belittle that. It's just to say if that's where we stop, we've not gone into the fullness of what God has invited us to. For a lot of us, that is the extent of our prayer life and not all horribly selfish things. I have prayed for health for myself and people I love. I've prayed for healing. I've prayed for reconciliation. I've prayed for God's intervention. And in the coming weeks, we'll be talking about this. And today, I want us to think about prayer in a way that is all too common for us. In fact, In this kind of prayer, if you don't actually separate time for it, it may never happen. I'm convinced that our prayer life can be out of alignment with God because we often miss the important foundation that we're talking about today. And before we pray inward for ourselves or outward for others, we need to pray upwards to center our souls, our prayer, our perspective, our attitudes, and our expectation on who God is. Can I say it this way? For a lot of us, our prayer life has been stifled because we've asked God for things without knowing who he actually is. We've expected pastors and people in the church to be Jesus because we feel like it's easier for a person to do it rather than to go to God and let him be the one. Today we're in Psalm 96, and it has a backstory that will help us connect to this prayer uh, the backstory of Psalm 96 starts with the Ark of the Covenant. And we talked about this at the beginning of December. The Ark of the Covenant was, uh, whether you've read the Bible or seen an Indiana Jones movie, uh, it's the big golden box with the angels whose wings covered it. And in that box were these symbolic pieces to remind Israel that God has spoke and God has moved. And this symbol of the presence of God, it's actually uh, in Scripture seen as God's footstool, meaning he's up in heaven in the throne, but part of that throne is right here on earth where this Ark of the Covenant goes. 
Not that he's confined to that place, but in Exodus it says this is where he's going to meet and where he's going to speak to Israel. But later in the story in uh, the Bible, in the Old Testament, the elders decide to use the ark like it's a good luck charm to defeat the Philistines in battle. If we just bring the Ark of the Covenant with us into battle, maybe it'll be uh, like having a lucky charm and we'll win this one. Here's what happens when you try to treat God that way. They lose miserably. In fact, the Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant away from them. Nothing about God is to be taken lightly. He is not a superstitious element to give us luck, and neither are His things. We can get so disconnected from God that we start trying to use Him instead of fearing Him. Israel loses that battle miserably, and the Philistines take the Ark back with them, but each place they take the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God meets and speaks with His people, they're humbled, which is the nice way of saying God makes their life a little miserable. They put it in a temple of one of their gods, and when they show up the next morning, their gods have fallen, and they're bowing down to the Ark of the Covenant. They move in around only to receive plagues of tumors and mice and boils. If you don't want tumors, mice, and boils, don't mess with the things of God. So they do what we all do with things that aren't working out. They give it back. Sit in the Kohl's cashier line and try to see if they'll take back the broken stuff that didn't work for them. Philistines are saying, hey, this Ark of the Covenant's not working when we've got it. We need to get it back with the people it belonged to. Keep in mind the problem the whole time was not the Ark of the Covenant. It was the people. God's people who received it get irreverently curious. And part of that is some of our issue. We got questions that we want to ask. We just don't go to God to figure out the answer. We come up with our own solutions and then it backfires. And they look at it when they were instructed not to, and here's the crazy part, 50,070 people die. Which seems a little crazy for looking at a box. But here's what's crazy. God said don't do it, and they were like, well, maybe we can get around that one. And that connects with us, doesn't it? God says don't do it, and we're like, I mean, we're at least going to try it though, right? Don't be with that person. Well, let's just date for a while and see how it goes first right? Don't be friends with uh, certain kinds of people who are going to give you certain kinds of advice. You don't need that coming in. You need wise counsel. You need spiritual friendships. You need people walking alongside of you with Jesus that speak the truth. And guess what? You need to do something with it. Instead here, what we see is the same thing that happens to us. God said something. They knew what he said. They just did something else to see if it would work. And it doesn't. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, it says this, So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourself, that's just a way of worshiping foreign gods, and commit yourself to the Lord and serve Him only and He will deliver you. See, the problem was not that they were carrying God with them. The problem was He wasn't the only thing they were carrying problem was it was my buddy Jesus and some other stuff. Not King Jesus on the throne and me kneeling before him. But this time in 1 Samuel, they obey. And if we could get rid of everything else and commit ourselves only to the Lord and serve only him, we get the same thing he promised them. He will deliver us. 
But he's not looking at a space-sharing agreement on the throne. He wants to sit there by himself. We can't continue pretending we will be the first human in history to figure out how to serve both God and something or someone else. We need to return back fully to him. And in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 7, he says this, On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. What they knew they needed to do was in order for us to hit the reset button, in order for us to get rid of the stuff we've been carrying, in order for us to get our hearts and our minds and our souls right, we need to give God way more attention than what we've been giving. God is not a side project for us. He needs to be central. And today we start a 21-day fast, and one of the key moments of our fast is when we appropriately admit and confess that we have pulled ourselves away from God and that we've sinned against Him. And later we see the Philistines come back for more. But because the heart of God's people were with Him alone, the enemy was destroyed. God's people's cities were restored, their territory was recovered, and the enemy was destroyed. And God's people's, sorry, the end goal of fasting This is super important. The end goal of fasting is not the restoration and recovery of what we had. The end goal of fasting is not that all of our problems go away. The end goal is to bring ourselves back to a wholehearted devotion to God and let Him be in charge of what happens with our life from that point on. It's in a way where we get to lay bare everything and say, God, it's not what I want, it's what you want. Our model in Christ is that that tends to lead to the cross where we have to sacrifice, surrender, and put down what we want so we can follow him closer. In 1 Corinthians or Chronicles 13, the way the story goes here, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the city and still again they mistreat the instruction of God. If you read scripture, it's one giant story of God speaking, people either ignoring or going the other way, everything gets screwed up and they come back to God who gives them another chance. And it's no different here. And after David gets angry and he mourns, they study scripture. They remind themselves of his commands. And they bring the ark in with a fully surrendered obedience and a heart of praise to see the place where God meets with and speaks with his people be back with them. This whole thing's a process of how do we bring back God back into the center In this case of the tabernacle, as we read through the New Testament, God says you yourselves are the temples of God. How do we bring the presence of God back into who we are so we don't make these same mistakes and see the same destruction as that we see Israel make and we've seen ourselves make over and over. And Psalm 96 is a prayer. Here's how that all connects. Psalm 96 is a prayer that is sung out wholeheartedly in the celebration of who God is. In what he's done, a song that we can sing to connect our lives to the power, greatness, and glory of God. When they bring the ark back in, in 1 Chronicles, this psalm is what they sing as they're bringing the ark back in. As though they're praying out to God, we want to get it right this time. And here's how we're going to do it. It's easy for us to feel defeated in our day-to-day lives. For sure, after a year like 2020, it's easy to wonder if it's just going to keep getting worse. But I want us to be able to celebrate a God whose desire is our heart and our devotion. Who promises to meet with us and speak with us until he has it. 
Will you start this year by fasting and confessing the garbage that we're trying to carry into a new year and devoting ourselves back to God Almighty? We love birthday parties at our house because we get to single one person out to acknowledge and celebrate them for who they are. We have four boys. There's six people living in our house, which is not massive. But there's something special about a birthday when you get to give one person that attention. As we read Psalm 96 together, I want us to see why it's so important before we roll out our requests before God to know Him, to renew our trust in Him, and to single Him out so we can celebrate Him for who He is. The first thing I want us to look at is this. Why do we pray up? Why is it just to God? Before our requests, before what we want, before what we want Him to do in other people or us, why is it important just to give Him focus? And the first one is this. Because praying up requires me to reflect on Him and to say something about Him. It requires me to reflect on Him and to say something about Him. A couple years ago, we were doing premarital counseling with a couple, and as we were talking, Ray and I, to the couple, uh, I had used the uh, language or the phrase to the husband, or to the soon-to-be husband, I guess, uh, hey, one of the things that you need to do, right, and there was a list for her too, but one of the things you as the husband need to do is you need to regularly adore your wife. Like, take time to think of how good she is and how beautiful she is and the things that she does that made you fall in love with her in the first place and to recount all that stuff and as I'm saying and I was like this is really good and then they left and I was like I think I should do that more right which is the power of mentoring when you realize I just said some good stuff now I need to go do it right and so I did I started uh, trying to uh, keep in mind uh, all the things about Ray that I love and all the good things about her that I appreciate and here's what I caught myself with I had to start saying it out loud because I was noticing. I was like, this is dumb if I'm noticing it and she doesn't know I'm noticing it. So I started saying it more. And it turns out it's made our marriage better. It's made our home a lot more fun because she's getting to hear things that I'm feeling. And as I let that out and release it, it falls in a place where something can be done with it. And it creates a relationship and a culture that shifts and changes and it charts a different course. Psalm 96, the psalmist does the same thing with God, where he starts calling out and adoring Him. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. I don't know if this is the same as standing on the counters at Popeye's, but it's got something to do with it. Where all he's doing is looking at God saying, I've got to say something. I've got to get it out. I have to release what I see when I see God. It's good to get away from common prayer. We are used to singing a new song so we can put new words to his renewing greatness. And this isn't a solo performance. We join in all creation to the one who is over all and in all and through all. And we give credit and appreciation to so many people. We need to lift high the name of the Lord, carry His name out into our battles, and declare His goodness in our lives over others. In verse 2 it says this, Proclaim the good news of salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all people. And we can read through that and say, that sounds like the kind of stuff I expect out of the Bible. But digest it as a prayer. We need to let people know 
what God's done. We need to sing out. We need to share. We need to get it out there, what God has been doing. Why? Because like Israel in this moment, we've seen what happens when he's not with us. We know the bad news. We know who we are on our own. We know what happens to our lives when he is distant from us because we've separated ourselves from him. But we know the good news because he's back. We've seen that restoration, we've seen the peace, we've seen what he does when he comes near. And so when he is singing this out, when Israel is singing this out as the Ark of the Covenant comes back in, it's to proclaim good news, the gospel, that he saved us. Bring it every day. He saved me and I have something to say about him. But also, not just to proclaim it, but to tell of it, to write it down is the actual language there. To make sure that this gets solidified in the history so we don't forget. The power in being able to share is so we just don't let it slip away behind us. How many times have you prayed for something? And I'm saying this as someone who's done it probably more than you. You've prayed for something, God answered, and you just moved on. You wanted redeemed from something, and He redeemed you from it, and you just moved on. And someone says, oh, do you remember that one season? You're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. What he's saying here is tell it, write it down, make sure that you don't move past the moments in history where God showed up and blessed your life in a way that you never deserved or could have imagined. So you don't forget and move past it and forget the compound interest of God's blessing when it shows up so frequently and often that you're so used to it that you stop seeing it. Tell of his glory among the nations. I love John Piper's definition of that. He says this, I believe the glory of God is going public with his infinite worth. When we give glory to God, it's because we know deep down in our soul what he's valued at, what his worth is, what he deserves from us. It's the root word of worship is worthy. That that we would proclaim that and get it out so that we know. Uh, My fear for a lot of us is this. There's people around us that know us really well that don't know a single thing about what God's done in our life because we've not got it out. We keep that stuff in. His incredible works among His people. Uh, My consuming conviction of God's infinite worth forces me to want people who aren't like me to know who He is. We've seen His wonderful works with our own eyes, and we have to say something about it. Verse 4, he says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are but idols. But the Lord made the heavens. He says those are just statues and buildings. God created the sky. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. And like Israel's story with the ark, it's far too easy for us to get used to God or to be distracted by our day-to-day that we drift from our own awareness of His splendor and His majesty and His strength and His beauty. We need to selflessly pray up to God so that we can be reminded of how worthy He is. And we need to say something about it as we worship in prayer, in worship service, throughout our weeks, and with every person we encounter, that the goodness of God, as we reflect on it, would come out of who we are. The second thing we read in this psalm is this. 
Why do we pray up to God alone? Is by, by, sorry, because by praying up, it redirects my worship. It shifts what I think is worthy to the only one who is. And for some of us, it's not like, I don't know that you have trinkets and stuff on your shelves and you bow down and you do your daily prayers to the idols of whatever. For a lot of us, it's just stuff like money. It's stuff like ourselves. It's things like the American dream, which in and of itself isn't bad as a thing, but it's a bad thing to love and give everything to. Make sense? God doesn't say that money's bad. He says that the love of it is. Because when we do that, we start turning things into more worthy than who God is. Here's a question. Do you want more money for you, yourself, and your family, or do you want more God for you, yourself, and your family? Now at church, you're going to say one thing. But reevaluate, set an alarm clock for Wednesday at 3 p.m. and see what your answer is then. Which one do you think would solve most of your problems? Which one do you think would give you more peace? Which one do you think has more power? Because the honest answer for a lot of us is scarily, sometimes God isn't the answer to that. And that's just using money as an example. I have to be careful to give him what he deserves or I will give it to someone or something else. I'm pretty good at it. Or I'll keep it for myself. He says in this next verse, he uses the word ascribe. Now, we don't use the word ascribe much in our day-to-day language, but in Hebrew, it means a demand to give. Uh, There's something that calls us to give out to God. We need to focus on the character and the greatness and the power of God to remind us to be continually giving Him what He deserves. In chapter 96, verse 7, it says, Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. Who? You families of the people. Give to God all of you. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. You want to know what you're supposed to give Him? He alone is infinitely worthy, and we've got to say something about it. He alone is strong enough. And we've got to say something about it. And we have to give that because he demands it. Ascribe to the Lord. What? The glory of his name. He alone is the one that deserves it. He's the only one big enough to handle it. And without intentional time of focusing on this, we may never do it. What I mean is if we don't stop in our day to say, you know what? I just need to spend some time refocusing and aligning my life on who God is. I need to be reminded that he's still in control. I need to be reminded that he's the only one that can save me, that can only save this. I need to be reminded. Doctors may be able to fix it, but I know that if they can't, there's only one that can. I need to be reminded that this life is not promised to go on forever, but there is a God who's promised eternity. I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded And if I don't separate time for it, I'll get washed up in thinking things need to go my way. Church needs to go my way. Decisions need to go my way. Relationships need to go my way. It all needs to go the way I want it to because I've forgotten to redirect my worship away from me being the center to Him. We need reminded of His glory and strength so we don't get distracted by fake imitations. And we need reminded of the glory of his name so that we aren't so easily impressed with anyone else's. He says, bring an offering and come into his courtyards. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. That was the verse I remember someone telling me that's why you have to wear a tie to church. Because the psalm says you've got to come with holy attire. 
The idea is clothing yourself because you're stepping into something different. Readying yourself in all aspects because what you're about to do as you encounter the throne of God is different from everything else in your life. As we remember, there arises an internal demand to give him something, an offering, and also to approach his presence. We have to compare ourselves, even or prepare ourselves, and in this context, even our wardrobe for it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 reminds us to take off the old self and put on the new. It's this same idea. We need to be reminded we're not who we used to be as we approach the throne. Some of us need that daily reminder that the old is gone, but the new creation is here. And we do need to tremble before him. Not because we're scared in fear, but because we're fearfully relevant, fearfully reverent of God Almighty. We need to mindfully pray up so that God can be reminded of who he, so that we can be reminded of who he is and give him praise, do his name. And here's what happens when I don't. I separate myself from God and the abundant life that comes from him. And when we do pray up, we live in a worshipful response of giving him what he deserves. I can tell you this, I've handled current events better when I know who God is and where he sits. I've not listened to news, social media stuff, other people that are crazy so much when I've spent more time listening to God. Now, when I listen to everyone else, guess what happens to the way I think and the way I feel and my anxiety and my worry and all that kind of stuff? It goes up and it goes through the roof. Why? Because I'm listening to other people and I'm ascribing the worthiness of God to others' opinions rather than the God who sits on the throne, who's been through pandemics and riots and chaos and government turnovers before. And if I focus on that throne, it settles me in who I am. Romans chapter 4, verse 1, he Paul reminds the church in Rome, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your whole selves, as a living sacrifice. Because it's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says he wants a living sacrifice. He's not asking you to go die. He's asking you to get up on the altar and live your way as though you're constantly bringing it back and offering it to him. The last thing is this. Why do we pray up? Because prayer realigns my joy with the rule and reign of King Jesus. Because when I focus up, and I pray up, and I ascribe to God what only belongs to Him, when I adore Him for who He is and what He's done in my life and throughout history, when I'm able to be thankful for what He's done and who He's been in my life, when I'm able to stop and pay attention and just adore when I think of the gods that some people I know worship, and then I look at the one of the Bible, I'm just, I have to stop and be thankful because it says he's loving and compassionate and caring and kind, that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him, that he is going to discipline me out of love because he sees something better for me than what I'm currently doing. That kind of God deserves more than what I give him. And here, what we see is when I start praying up in those kind of ways, it realigns my joy. I'm not looking for any of you and or your opinions to make me feel better about myself. I'm not looking for the uh, suggestion box in the back of the room on what you think would go better and how it would go better. 
Because my joy has been aligned with God. And in our lives, it shouldn't be how our family views us, our expectations of how people think about us, what's going on in our life. None of that. Because our joy is aligned with who God is and what God does. And that shifts some stuff in our lives. It's so easy to lose joy when we drift from the rule and reign of King Jesus. The minute you allow someone to sit in that throne of your life, is the minute your joy gets removed and you start looking for it in a hundred different places. Joy becomes dependent on how it's going rather than who is reigning. When we spend time in prayer simply focused on the character and qualities of God, we find joy in the power and the authority and the security of Jesus and that He is in control. Psalm 96 verse 10 says this, Say among the nations, right? Hey, go out and tell everybody else. Go tell the people that don't know who God is. Go tell the people that have never had that encounter with Him. The Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the people fairly. Go tell the people Jesus is on the throne. This is a mission response to the goodness of God. Because I know how good He's been, I need to go tell more people about how good He's been. And without anyone else there on the throne, the world is in constant power transition. Your life will constantly transition power from one voice to the next, from one conspiracy theory to the other, from one catastrophe to the next one, from one prominent voice that you think starts to make sense, rather than focusing on God whose time or word is timeless and true. Other nations and empires fall. That's what he says. Success and victories are temporary. History proves the instability of power, but it's not so with God. It's not a life of unstable governments or personalities, but the never-changing, almighty reign of God. Verse 11, he says, May the heavens be joyful and may the earth rejoice. May the sea roar and all it contains. You get this uh, sense that all of creation is worshiping God. And then all the trees of the forest will sing with joy before the Lord. And when all is under the reign and judgment of an absolute Lord, we can celebrate His goodness. Joy, rejoicing, jubilant, sing for joy, because when He is on the throne, we can align our joy with His rule and reign. For He is coming. For He is coming to judge the earth, and He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in His faithfulness. Where God rules, His worshipers are free to come as they are, being completely themselves. One of my favorite things with God is I don't have to pretend I'm somebody else before I come to the throne in prayer. I don't have to pretend like I've not screwed up. In fact, one of the reasons he calls us to confess is so we bring our garbage with him, not leave it outside the door like it doesn't exist. He wants it. He wants it. So he says, bring that with you. I want to deal with it. I want to take it. Right? Jesus, I want you to give that to me because my yoke that I give back to you is easy and my burden is light. He says, bring it so you can walk away with peace and joy. We know in Christ that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. That we're accepted because of who He is. He is our righteousness. The joy for us is living a life where at the end we get to hear, well done. 
my good and faithful servant. And without Jesus, we fear and tremble at the thought of God's judgment. Here's the reality. If you're not right with Jesus, if you don't believe there, and if he is not Lord over your life, the idea of being close to God should not be a pleasant one for you because without him, you're not good before him. What we hear in Scripture is with Christ, we celebrate, we rejoice, we sing for, enjoy, or for joy and judgment. In the book of Revelation, the thing that gives the church hope is the fact that Jesus is coming to judge. And we don't have to be afraid because we've been covered. People who are far from God, they will get what you get when you've decided to be far from God. But the people who have clung to him, it's going to be okay. With, we need to pray up so we align our, with our joy into our rule of King Jesus. We rejoice in him, his coming to earth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again. And when we lose sight of his reign over everything, we unsuccessfully will start to attach our joy to people and things that will disappoint you and they will fall short. Because we have an everlasting joy when our hope is secure in Christ. Here's what I want us to do. Praying up to God. And I hope you get, when I say pray up, I mean, I'm not talking about what I want. I'm not talking about my mom who's not healthy. I'm not talking about financial problems. I'm not talking about all of this. I'm not talking about what I can see around me or what's in me. I'm talking about making sure my eyes are fixed only on what's above that I got a good understanding of who God is before I start asking him for things because I may start asking him for things that are out of alignment with who he is. And if I know who he is, I can start asking, God, I want more of who you are to show up in more of who I am. And when I see stuff that needs prayed for around me, I can start saying, God, I know who you are and I know that they need more of that. God, would you put more of you in them? Not just fixing their problems. Would you be the eternal fix for their problems? Some of us are continually pushing to inflate some version of yourself or your own dream. And you may reach it and you will find it inadequate. Or you may never reach it and die trying to arrive somewhere that was never worthy of the life you gave it. God is worthy. He deserves the praise and the worship of your life because he gave his life for you. My invitation, and it's not mine, it's Jesus. I've answered it. I'm just offering it is to make sure that your life is secure in Christ. In Christ, that He has you. That He's holding on to you. That you've gotten out of that throne and you've put Jesus there. God is worthy and He deserves the praise and worship of your life because He gave His life for you. And for the rest of us, for these next 21 days, I would like to invite you to fast with us. And this week, we're going to start by praying up. In the app, if you go to Uncommon Prayer and you start looking and you'll see all that, every day is just a, a, a prompt and a way for you to think through. Starting tonight, you can go on uh, and, and you can follow. God, I need, to, I need to think about you in this way. God, I need to offer you this. God, I need to lift my eyes in these ways. God, I need to remember these things. This week, would you spend seven days of just making sure you carve out some intentional time to pray up to God. Will you stand as I read this psalm in our closing and as we worship?
Again, as the church was, or God's people in Israel, as they were seeing the Ark of the Covenant come back into the place where it belonged, they sang this, and I pray it's true of us as we see the presence of God coming back into the throne room of our soul, that he sits there alone, that we would sing this to welcome him in and remind ourselves of what is taking place when God comes closer to his people. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is feared above all gods. For the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And the world is firmly established and it cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let heavens rejoice and let earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let me pray. Father God, we have come. God, we need to repent, not necessarily in the screaming, fearful way that we hear often in culture, but in the humble invitation that Jesus has given us to stop going the way we're going and just to come back to you. Uh, Father, we've tried out other people to rule and reign over our life. We've tried ourselves multiple times to sit in that seat. But Father, tonight I pray before we start this 21-day fast that we can come to you fully admitting that we are sinful people who get ourselves into so many messes because we try to do what we think is best for our own life rather than yielding and listening and returning to who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do and where you've called us to go. Father, I pray that tonight and this week that we would start with joy being able to look to you ascribing to you what belongs to you, that we would sing for joy at who you are and what you've done, that rather than looking at the difficulties and challenges that we face today, that we would be reminded soberly of the victories and the triumphs and the interventions and the moments of capturing our attention from the rest of our life, to be reminded that you're constantly present, that you've always been good faithful. So Father, we lift all this to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.